Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Um, so take out your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're in a series that is all um, designed around uh, basically 12 verses in Matthew chapter 5, the first 12 verses. And um, in Matthew chapter five, this is uh, what is traditionally called by uh, scholars and theologians and um, uh, all kinds of uh, bib- biblical uh, old dead crusty guys. Um, this is called the Sermon on the Mount, right? So these 12 verses are just within the Sermon on the Mount. And so we have, uh, we've been taking um, you know, and it's traditionally called the Beatitudes, right? So we've been taking a look at these, these 12 verses, and it's easy when you, if you haven't been with us um, over these next, uh, or over these last few Sundays, it's easy to look at these verses and to read these verses, to study these verses, and get the wrong, kind of get, not tricked, but be um, uh, led to believe that they're trying to get you to be something and do something, um, uh, like earn it. In other words, you're not going to inherit these attitudes, these these things, these qualities, um, unless you do something uh, for it. And uh, so, if you're not careful, just by glazing over or just reading over it really quickly, um, you'll find yourself thinking along those lines, and it's it's a really incorrect way to think. Actually, when Jesus is teaching um, these. 12 verses, he pulls his guys aside, right, on uh, a mountain and that he's famous for doing, and he sits down with them, and he's teaching them some things. And there's a crowd of people that are listening in as well, so he's doing a couple of things. He's teaching his guys, kind of training, equipping, so to speak, his, his main guys, and, but Jesus attracts a, a a crowd wherever he goes. So there's a crowd listening in as well. And so as he's teaching these guys, he is actually um, teaching them that this is a celebration of what you inherit, of what you get, and who you are and who you become when you surrender your life to Christ, when you believe in um, Jesus. So this has been his message all along. And so as he walks through all these attributes, uh, all these characteristics, all these attitudes, if you will, that we are to be, um, he's presenting and, um, uh, them as a celebration. But at the same time, because there's all these other folks listening in, it's also an invitation um, to these folks that these qualities, these attitudes, these uh, all, of, all of these things can be yours as well. They can be yours, so um, the way he presents it um, is enticing. So it's a celebration, he's teaching these guys, this is a celebration of who you are when you follow me and because you follow me, okay? So we've been working our way then through these things one at a time and today we are gonna look at verse eight. And uh, verse eight is, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So obviously we're gonna focus on the pure 
in heart today and all about that. And um, so as I was getting ready, uh, you know, for this message, um, man, there's a lot of people that have a lot to say about this subject. And C.S. Lewis in particular, he kind of grabbed a hold of me a little bit. He says, uh, perspective with critical matters if they're viewed from a certain vantage point, may seem unimportant. So what he's saying is it depends on your vantage point, I guess. He says, seeing depends on where you stand. Seeing depends on where you stand. And uh, it's so true in life that, uh, have you ever maybe talked to a young person, a teenager or a child, and they're just looking at it, looking at an issue a certain way, they're objecting, they're, it's the end of the world. I can't tell you how many times uh, my children declared that it was, it's the end of the world. Um, whatever's happened, you know, whatever's going on, it's, it's it, it, uh, based on the way they're describing it, their vantage point is, it's the end of the world. I mean, dad, my life is over. You, you don't understand. Oh my gosh, have you ever had a young person tell me, you just don't understand? You don't get it. You know, I mean, maybe, you know, when you were, when, dad, when you were in high school, you know, things were different. It's different now. It's different now, so you just don't understand, you know? Oh my gosh, it depends on your vantage. So C.S. Lewis, oh, so wise. How about Helen Keller? You know that, you know, I've asked a lot of young people, um, actually ask a young person if they know who Helen Keller is and most of them will say no unless some of her works have been required uh, reading. But she says, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. This is coming from a a blind person. (laughs) It's, that, that, that's, Awfully wise as well, right? Better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So you can see where this is going and I gotta admit that as I approached my study in this particular beatitude, I approached it with a little bit of trepidation. Um, I did, uh, it didn't help when I read, uh, read some things from this guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He paraphrases a lot of things, and I just like to read uh, some, of the, some of his works and his paraphrase because it's so good. You'll see, blessed are those who are pure, not only on the surface, but at the center of their being and at the source of every activity. <laughs> That's the way he says it. That's the way he interprets the verse. The blessed are the pure in heart. Now I was thinking about the depth of this heart requirement. Maybe you've thought about this before. That's what we're gonna look at today. The depth of the heart requirement that seems to be here. And it, it, it troubles me um, actually, and, and um, as it should, I guess. Because it's true, if all of us opened up our heart, if we were able to open it up and let everybody see exactly what's in our heart, we would all kind of gasp, I'm certain of it. When we could actually see that, right? That's why it troubles me a little bit. It makes me feel uncomfortable, I guess, just a little bit. Because I think if you're honest and you're willing to admit your heart is the source of all your problems. It's the source of all my problems. 
It's what goes on in here. Jeremiah's words um, come back to me all the time. Jeremiah is a, a wise um, Old Testament biblical character as well. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. It's our heart that's deceitful and sick. And Jesus uh, uh, should be quoted often as well. Let me just quote Jesus. He says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So all you have to look at, all you, all you need to do is look uh, into your heart and you see the darkness and the mixed motives that very often accompany even our best, even our, our best efforts and our best intentions. <clears throat> but we also know from the Gospels, since I'm quoting Jesus, that Jesus uh, was the friend of people and the friend of people who were a wreck. And he was a friend of people who were sinful. He was a friend of people who were an absolute mess. <laughs> he was a friend to all kinds of folks like that. Jesus sided and paid attention to people who we would describe as losers <laughs> all the time. Those who were closest to him his disciples, his guys, you know, those guys that he pulled around him up on the mountain as he's teaching them, all those guys, they didn't have a, an exact, uh, they didn't have um, a clean track record, so to speak, <laughs> themselves. They were, some of them, really uh, a big mess as well and deeply flawed, just like all of us. So there's got to be more to a pure heart than just moral purity, and that's what we want to look at today. And uh, so we're gonna walk through all this and I just wanna answer um, four questions. The first question I wanna answer is what does it mean to be pure in heart? If we were, if, if we were to go to the scripture and to draw the truth out of the scripture and, and present it, right? That, that, that's the goal, uh, that's my goal each and every week is to draw the truth out of the scripture. What is the truth then about the meaning of, um, of a pure heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart or to have a pure heart? The purity that Jesus is referring to is being clean in the sense of not being mixed with anything else. Being clean, not being mixed with anything else, right? I was uh, kind of, I wasn't making fun of my wife the other day, but it was pretty close. Um, because we were drinking coffee and I, on, uh, you know, on Saturday morning, um, uh, if you want to make Linda really happy, you just, you cook breakfast and she doesn't have to do anything, right? And so I want coffee first thing in the morning, but Linda, she needs a little bit. She doesn't want to drink it right off the bat and she wants it with breakfast. And uh, the part that I was sort of making fun of was uh, it's not really coffee when I get done with fixing it like she wants it. It's really a whole bunch of sweet stuff and other things and then a little bit of coffee in it, right? <laughs> Honestly, I'm not even exaggerating, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's mocha, so there's chocolate in there and then she... she likes a little bit of something minty and it's got to have sugar and then cream in it 
And then there's a little bit of room for coffee after you're done, and she's so happy to drink it, right? It's not, it's just mixed with everything else. And Jesus is saying, uh, it's, you know, I just, uh, he's talking about black coffee here. <laughs> okay. So the Greek word, when you go to the, and, and you have to deal with uh, the original language actually fairly often with words like this, they're really important. So that's why we would go back, not to bore you and, and drag you through you know, some sort of Greek uh, language class, but the Greek word used here, the original word used here for pure, and at the time, right, was used um, at times for clear water, clear water for metals without alloy, um, for grain that had been winnowed um, or freed from the mixture of other particles. So when you uh, winnowed grain, right, you would beat it on a threshing floor, throw it, up in the, uh, throw it up in the air, right, and all the particles would blow away because they're lighter than the grain and they would blow away and the grain would fall to the ground, all right? freed from the mixture of other particles and, an, and uh, um, unmixed feelings. There's another word, unmixed feelings. So when you're talking about pure, these are some of the words. In the context of uh, the other Beatitudes, as we look through these 12 verses, purity of heart seems to refer in some sense to our relationships. So you, you have to Keep this in mind, uh, relationships are what's really important to Jesus. Um, and a person that is single-minded as well, single-minded, free from the divided self. And in this case, the pure heart is the single heart, single heart. So it prepares the way for single focus that Jesus makes rex, uh, reference to in the next chapter but uh, we're not gonna get there, but most precisely or more precisely, the primary reference here is to sincerity. And that's a word that takes a little bit of work to understand, I think, purely. But in Psalm 24, if you'd like to turn to Psalm 24, it's a great reflection of what's being talked about here. So um, in Psalm 24, this psalm that's uh, written by David uh, um, declares the person, the person whose deeds are blameless and whose motives are pure, who does not lie or make promises with no intention of keeping them, that's a person that's sincere. That's a person that, is, that has a pure heart. in their relationship, in other words, in their relationships with God and with man, with other people, the pure heart is free from falsehood, so they are utterly sincere, utterly sincere. That's a person with a pure heart. So all of life, both public and private, all of life is transparent before God and men. You can see it all. 
their hearts, including their thoughts and motives, are pure. They're unmixed with any devious, ulterior, or sinfulness in their life, right? Hypocrisy and deceit are awful to this person. They're without duplicity. The thought is represented in the words singleness and sincerity. And it holds the idea of being without deceit, being sincere and honest in your motives, in our motives, right? So the word sincere is actually a Latin word meaning without wax. What? I know. So the term means sun-tested. That would be another way of saying it. In the first century, they fired their fine porcelains in kilns, right? And sometimes in the process of firing, cracks would appear in the porcelain, right? In the finished product. So dishonest merchants would smear wax over the cracks and fill it all in and you couldn't really see it unless you held it up to the sunlight and then you could see it. You could see where the, cla- uh, the cracks were. The light of the sun would do that and actually the heat of the sun would do what? Would melt the wax and you would know so honest merchants would declare their, their, um, their wares, their um, porcelain, to be sina sira, sina sira, or without wax. So this is what um, Jesus is referring to and what he's describing. And if you think about Jesus at this time, he's among all kinds of people, um, and he's alone, really, in being the purest of heart. He has an absolutely pure heart. This is why Jesus, um, we, uh, not that long ago, we finished journeying through the Gospel of Mark and we took um, nine months to do it, right? And we found that Jesus had a really hard time with the Pharisees um, throughout that Gospel. The experts in the law right, the clergy of the time. He had a really hard time. He was forever trying to get these guys, these, these men who were so obs- obsessed with the external things in life, the ceremonial uh, purity. To, he was constantly trying to get them to look inside themselves. And so he tells them on one occasion in Matthew uh, chapter 23, actually, if you go through Matthew chapter 23, Sometimes there's a, a, a heading in, it's described as the seven woes. So he's always saying woe to you, right? And so in Matthew chapter 23, um, starting in, uh, in about verse 25, somewhere in there, he says, woe to you, experts in the uh, law, and you Pharisees, he says, hypocrites. He describes them as hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside may become clean too. Woe to you, experts in the law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs that look beautiful on the outside, but the inside are full of the bones of dead and everything unclean. (laughs) 
In the same way, on the outside, you look righteous to people, but inside, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. If you're ever wondering why these guys were angry at Jesus and wanted to kill him, take a look at some of the things that he says to them, right? My goodness, hypocrisy. This is the word Jesus uses to, to, um, to characterize this display and how they're displaying their life. In classical Greek, the, the um, hypocritos was first an orator and then an actor. In classic Greek, and maybe you've seen some of this or you know some of this. So first you're an orator and then you're an actor. So in the ancient Greek dramas, an actor would place a large grinning mask in front of his face and quote his comedy lines. Then at an appropriate place, he would take a frowning sad mask and quote his tragic lines, right? And the audience would respond appropriately. So the actor was called a hypocritos. One who wears a mask. So figuratively, the word came to be applied to anybody who treats the world as a stage on which he plays a part. That's why Jesus, this is what Jesus is calling him. I think it's brilliant. He lays that these people are laying aside their true identity and assume, uh, assume, assuming a false one. This person no longer is himself, but he is in a disguise, impersonating someone else. He wears a mask. And, and in theater, um, <clears throat> there's no harm or deceit involved because actors are playing their part and it's an ex ex expected um, and accepted convention, right? The audience know that they're watching a drama. They're not taken by it. They're not deceived by it. The trouble with religious hypocrites, though, religious hypocrites, is that they desperately set out to, um, or, uh, excuse me, deliberately set out to deceive people. And I think this is why Jesus is actually so angry and why he's so harsh. Because they're, they're, these people are actors. They're pretenders. And that's what the, and what the audience is seeing is a person that's uh, not real, not the real person, but a part, a mask, a disguise. But they're actually on the inside, they're not like the actor at all, right? They're taking legitimate religious practices and turning it into what it was never meant to be, namely a um, a piece of make-believe uh, theater and it's displayed for an audience. So a hypocrite is one who outwardly correct, is, is correct but inwardly is corrupt. And so the Pharisees taught decency but their hearts were defiled and their hearts were corrupt. Their rules couldn't correct their state of, the state of their own heart nor could they correct others. That's why they, they didn't like Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, he says, it's not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. <laughs> it's not our weakness that hinders 
Christ, it's our strength. It's not our darkness that hinders Christ, it's our supposed light that holds back his hand. It's actually brilliant, right? It's clearly evident in John chapter nine. If you wanna turn to John chapter nine, there's an incident there in which Jesus heals a man who's blind from birth. It's actually an awesome story. The Pharisees get all upset by this because Jesus had broken one of their rules by healing on the Sabbath. And later on in the story, Jesus reveals the message that the miracle represented. He says, for judgment I have come into this world so that those who do not see may gain their sight and the ones who see may become blind. And so some of the Pharisees who were with him, they heard this and they asked him, we're not blind too, are we? Come on, Jesus. And so Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now because you claim that you see, your guilt remains. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just another way of just hammering these guys because the distinction in the story is not between those who were blind and those who could see, but those who knew they were blind and those who claimed they could see. It's, uh, it's a, it's, it is significant that the man in the story was born blind and, and, and he's a beggar. That's the significant part of the story. He's a representative of all of us. Because in a very real sense, we're all blind from birth and we're all beggars from birth, unable to free ourselves from the state that we're in. We sin because we are sinful and we think we're not sinful. So Jesus reserved his harshest words for people who would not admit that there was something basically wrong with them. Those who still believed that there was something good about them and that God ought to accept them. And amazingly, it was the clergy, these guys of Jesus' day, who could not see their own need. So that's why Jesus began these beatitudes by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those, in other words, who realize that, that they have nothing within themselves that would commend them to God. The Lord wants us to be free. That's what he's after right here free to live our lives out in um, the open. He wants us to have nothing to hide. That's what he wants. No reputation to defend and nothing to pres um, preserve about ourselves. That's what he wants. He wants us to be able to go like this and let everybody see. He wants the outside to match the inside. Everywhere today, everywhere you go, people are crying um, out that they need to be themselves. In fact, people encourage all the time. I, I, it's, it's almost without fail when someone is really successful at something, something you know highly sought after and it's rare to become, um, when that person is act, uh, asked, what would you tell somebody who's pursuing what you've pursued and been successful at? And they would say, just be 
true to yourself. Just be yourself. <laughs> Here, I can't, if, if you open up my high school yearbook and all the dumb things that people write, you know, in your yearbook, and you read it now, you know, you know how many times someone said, Ben, just continue being yourself, you know, be true to yourself, you know, don't ever change. Sounds like you know what you're talking about when you're in high school. It's the dumbest thing you could ever write. <laughs> it's the funniest thing in the world to read through my high school yearbook, even my college yearbook and the people that sign it, you know how you pass it around and all that. There's other things in there you would never want to see too. People write things and do things in your yearbook that is embarrassing. My kids love to look at it, right? Oh my gosh, everywhere today, people are crying out, I just, we, I just need to be myself, but they go about it all the wrong way. We're taught that the way to be me is to think about myself and to think about my advantage and my efforts and my rights and to, and to defend and to demand them. But the scripture, the truth, God's word, right, says that there's another way, and it's not to be afraid to look at the evil in your heart and in your life because you have another way in which you can receive the acceptance and the approval of God. It's a gift to you and I, and it comes by faith, by accepting the free gift of righteousness and becoming pleasing to God, and on that basis, serving uh, him out of a heart of gratitude for what you have. And at that moment, when you receive that gift, all of us are taken to the cross of Christ. We're plunged in his blood cleansing bath. You cannot see him, but he's there. You're clean and you are forgiven. That is the promise of Jesus to each one of us. If we come clean, right? If we open up in sincerity, if we confess our sin and we trade it for the savior, we will see God. I was reading this uh, guy named uh, Francis um, Muriak. He's, um, oh, he writes a lot of, he's French and he writes a lot of novels. He writes a lot of things, but he, he, he's written this one work entitled What I Believe. And it's seriously boring. But there's some great wisdom there. He concludes when you read the book that, there's, uh, that there uh, was one powerful reason to seek purity. There's only one pow powerful reason to seek it, right? The one Christ gave in this beatitude, he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. It is this promise that the pure will see God that empowers us to share our struggles, to communicate our struggles with other people, to uh, communicate with others and share our battles with each other and bring them then to God. It's motivating when you can be open with others and encourage uh, and be like-minded with others. And, and then it, I think it motivates you to bring those kinds of things to God. 
because we need each other. And so you cannot lose when you turn to God and the way to fight our, our lust, the way to fight our duplicity, the way to f- is, is, is to feed our f- uh, faith with the magnificent promise that the pure heart will see face to face the all satisfying God of glory. So as we've walked through the Beatitudes I've said, it's much easier to get a clear picture of this attitude and this quality that Jesus is presenting if you look at the opposite of it. And that's just almost exactly what we've done. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So let's just answer really quickly, what is a pure heart? What's a pure heart? What is the pure heart? What is the pure heart that is celebrated and that we are invited to have? What is it? The description of of the human heart outside of the household of faith, it's really different from the true Christ follower and the pure heart celebrated in the Beatitudes. Here's the um, definition of a pure heart thus far. All of life, both public and private. Go ahead and put that up there. There it is. All of life, both public and private, is transparent before God and men. Their hearts, including their thoughts and motives, are sincere, unmixed with anything devious, ulterior, or sinful. Hypocrisy and deceit are awful to them. They're without duplicity, they are without wax. This is a person with a pure heart, right? pure heart so the next question is what about the promise to the pure in heart because there's a promise here it's really obvious right blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God it's a promise what about the promise for those who have a pure heart they will see God what an incredible statement the Bible says that no one has ever seen God actually you can go through the Old Testament through uh, Exodus chapter 33, 1 Timothy 6, Exodus chapter 24, uh, Isaiah 6, Revelation 1. You can find it, even John says in, in, um, in his uh, gospel that no one's ever seen God. People have seen appearances of the Lord in various forms, like Moses on Mount Sinai seeing the hem of God's garment, right? Or the Israelite leaders eating with the Lord and seeing the God of Israel in the form of the revealed, of of his revealed presence or the revealed presence or Isaiah, right? All of these guys. One aspect of the promise is here and now by faith. We can see God in all the events and all the circumstances of life. That's how you see God. But the Bible promises so much more. Here on earth, the vision of God is denied to us. We can actually directly see God. But one day, uh, when heaven is going to be opened, he will be visible to our transfigured eyes. Job chapter 19, you may know the story of Job. I mean, it's such a tragic story and such an awesome story, all in the same thing. Job was afflicted by Satan, he lost most of his family and all of his wealth and riches and all these things. 
And in all of his wisdom in Job chapter 19 in verses 25, he says, as for me, he says, I know that my redeemer lives and that as the last he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God whom I will see for myself and whom my own eyes will behold and not another. We're eventually gonna see God, but we see God indirectly right now, right? So the last question I just wanna answer really quick that applies to us is then how do you gain a pure heart? Jesus doesn't explain it necessarily directly here, but the transformation from a heart of flesh to a pure heart comes by following Jesus, by following Christ. Only those who have this heart, this new heart, can enter the kingdom of righteousness uh, that he's talking about. That's why the Beatitudes are an invitation and a celebration. You accept the invitation by surrendering your life to Jesus. This is when God gives us a new, pure heart, actually. And the journey continues through spiritual growth as we follow Jesus. Walking in the light or learning to live by the word of God will change the way we think so that our hearts grow more and more pure. So if Jesus is our passion and we love him and we wanna see him everywhere, that's the very condition that produces a pure heart. And purity of heart produces awareness of God, awareness of the Lord. Our eyes become clear and we begin to see God everywhere in all things, even in terrible things. That's how Job could say, after losing his children, after losing all of his wealth in his house and being afflicted with unbelievable, ridiculous disease, God turned him over to Satan and said, you can do whatever you want to him except for kill him. He's never gonna deny me. He's never gonna uh, renounce me. He's never gonna reject me. And he doesn't, he doesn't amazingly. Why? Why? He has a pure heart that produces more and more awareness of the Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that for now we see in a mirror indirectly. Indirectly, he says. But then we will see him face to face. Right now where we're living, it's indirect. So no matter how far we go in this life, we're never gonna see him as he truly is in this life. We see him indirectly, but we can see so much more than most of us are willing to. The mirror can reveal more than you might ever imagine, actually. Jesus is helping us right here in this beatitude. He's helping us here to have one of the first principles as a part of our life, the first principles of the faith, the most important one. He's helping us understand and motivating us and inviting us to have an intimate relationship with God, intimacy with God. And the mirror of God's word will reveal, will reveal all the impurities in our life forcing us somewhat to deal with all of those things and change and grow. Blessed are the pure heart. If you have sworn allegiance to Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, 
you have a pure heart. He gives you a new heart. He installs it right here. It's new and it's pure and it's good. It's, in, it's, it's up to you now through God's word to continue to develop intimacy with God. And the more and, uh, and the closer you get to the Lord, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you spend time with him, the more um, what's going on in your heart is revealed to you and pointed out. And, sh- and, and, and you're shown where your sin is, where your heart doesn't line up with God. And the more you know about that, the more you, I believe, as a Christ follower, are brought to your knees in confession and in agreement about your sin. And the more you do that, the closer you get to God and the more pure your heart becomes. It's like a self-winding watch. It just keeps on. You keep on becoming more pure. And Jesus is saying in these attitudes, in, in these 12 verses, this is a celebration of who you are and what you get along with all these other responsibilities we've already talked about then, it's our uh, responsibility then to encourage and to model and to teach and to tell and to share with others all around us who Jesus is so that their heart can be made new as well, so that their heart can be pure. And when you get there, you begin to see God. You begin to see him in all kinds of new and fresh ways. That's the promise. Father, you have with me. Thank you, Lord, for these few moments together today. In the middle of summer, Lord, these are good things to um, focus on. Continue, Lord God, to teach us what it means to be pure in heart. We know that's what you're after, what you want, and what you do with us when we surrender our lives to you. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.